Crowpod contains language and themes which may not be suitable for anyone, but what is suitable for everybody is the great stuff from our friends at the famous iconic wear for bears. Go check out the famous uk. Great stuff over there. And if you want to win some stuff from them, scroll down, hit the buy me a coffee link in the show notes on this episode that you're listening to right now. We give away stuff from them every single month here on the Crowpod. So check them out. The famous uk. Welcome to a special edition here on the Crow Pod. Uh, if, if you've been around for a while, you've heard this guy's voice before. I've talked to him before. He's a good old friend of mine, uh, author, and, and just nice American football, well, soccer. I shouldn't say American football guy because that confuses people. Soccer guy, John Townsend. Hi, John. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm all right. Bro- bro- broken leg and all, and you're still chipper enough to get on here and then do the show. Huh? Yeah, a little the little things in life that get me to the computer. And uh, as long as it's not work, work, I'm happy to I'm happy to sit down as long as it's seated and uh, and chat football or something. So how how uh, was it a, just a just a reducer as it were? Um, yeah, it's you know the 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 break itself. Um, you know, people who I, I've had two people um, tell me that I'm never going to walk and play anything again, and then I have like the other side of the fence, which is. Um, why are you still playing and doing things that could get you hurt? And then they, they recommend like a thousand things that involve staying in my office or house. And I'm like, that's more dangerous for me to do than to go do the things that I was doing. And so yeah. it's, it's funny. Cause like the, uh, I know that my time playing at a reasonably competitive level is there that those are numbered anyway. This right. just takes that timeline and, and, and uh, truncates it a little bit. Um, and so, it, it's one of those things where I was phasing out anyway. This may be a graceful exit um, from competitive playing. I'll still probably knock around with kids and coach, but ultimately, um, I just want to be able to, to run and, and do things that are, are not yeah. going to hurt when it rains and snows. And there's no guarantee that that's going to be a possibility because there'll be some titanium going in and some hardware that I'll live with. And uh, yeah, just part of getting getting up there. So yeah, I, I um. Well, I mean, obviously, regular listeners to the show are well aware of my capabilities to injure myself. Uh, th- thankfully, I've avoided most of those <laughs> lately. But um, yeah, I mean, I've had you know the keyhole keyhole surgeries on the knee more than a few times. I mean, what the the first thing I tore was a, was a well, I slipped my kneecap and tore my meniscus just running, and I stepped in a gopher hole on the pitch because you know we're in the Midwest and <laughs> that happens. Uh, so yeah, uh, that ended up with me being taken to the trainer's room with my kneecap, not the way you want it to be facing. Uh, it was kind of off off to the side. So from there, you know, I, I escalated though to uh, tearing my ACL. Uh, my PCL is just permanently detached now. Which people, how can you walk? It's like because I I have to. I don't know. <laughs> like what, <laughs> what 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 myself? I'm not playing anymore. You know, it'd be different if I was still trying to do it, but. I mean, at 38, if I get out and kick a ball around for a little while, I'm happy. Usually it's, uh, you know, it's, it's bike riding and, um, 
well, very, very competitive rounds of uh, cornhole in the backyard, you know, th- throwing the bags, and that's about it. Um, uh, I'm, I'm done with uh, any any semblance of trying to get out there. And get, well, and it, you know, it's the thing with how they break up age groups, too, because I'll still end up in, in an age, like a, a section with a bunch of 18 to 21-year-olds. They're, like, home for summer from uni, and uh, no, that's not good for anybody. <laughs> that was the guy who got me. He was a ringer. Um, and, and, and the funny thing is, is, like, I think he – um, he's a collegiate player, uh, or just out of college. So basically a kid I'm 38 as well. And so he, yep. I believe, um, was very upset that the team that I'm on is, is composed of players that either played semi-pro or division one. So yep. we're all very capable still, but we get put in this age group full of younger, faster, more robust players. And, <laughs> and the game was like five or six, one. And I think the frustration for him was he was probably the best player on his team, but just getting absolutely passed through and just, you know, and again, I think he took the, the, the tackle late high. Uh, it, I call it a butcher job. A good player knows what they're doing. I'm not mad at him because he'll, you know, you play long enough. It does happen. Yeah. Um, but you know, I have, I have friends on my, my team who are like, we're going to get him next time. And it's like guys like that get sorted out. <laughs> Life does yeah. that. Um, you know, if, if, if you ask me, Next time I do play, if I play, um, I guarantee this guy will be nowhere near me on the field because he felt awful. And the the, the dumb thing is, this is, the stupid thing is, I thought it was a contusion, so I kept playing on it like a dead leg for a couple minutes, and then I realized there's movement in there that I don't like and I'm not comfortable with, <laughs> and I can't I can't. Um, there, there, there's suddenly an extra joint there. Like, yeah, <laughs> and so uh, well, I was expecting like a knot to, to to form, and no knot happened. And then I I reached into my bag and I taped it up like quick, really quick ankle tape, and I'm like, that's not doing anything. <laughs> and yeah. so um, it you know it's a fibula fracture. It's uh, it, you know, so it, it'll be you know I think a plate, some screws, and um, I had to wait two weeks for that, which is probably the worst thing is the waiting because all you're doing is um, have a floating fracture. <laughs> you're hobbling around. <laughs> I have three kids that don't care, nor do they know the severity of it. Um, I have a, uh, you know, a hundred pound German shepherd Husky mix that likes to go for walks. And so there's yeah. like, so my, my wife is very, uh, you know, she's a physical therapist by trade, so she ordered me on Amazon a knee scooter, which I'm sure my kids will just hijack in as their new toy. Yeah, no, there's no chance of using that. So no. <laughs> um, they gave me crutches, which I apparently is athletic as I think I am. I'm horrible at using crutches. So <laughs> I've just been, you know, hobbling and and uh, getting around and, and risking, you know, further injury. But I figure if I'm going under the knife, um, you know, they'll, they'll figure it out and, and it's going to be their fault because they made you wait two weeks, but ultimately, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, it's a good, it's a good chance for me to just sit and, uh, you know, be thankful that it wasn't worse, uh, wasn't yeah. compound, uh, no one died, not terminally ill. So that I know of, so, you know, in the grand scheme of things, like I, I think, uh, you know, it's, and my wife's like, well, it gets you to the doctor <laughs> because I'm notorious for, oh, I missed my doctor appointment. So, yeah. you know, I'll just, uh, I'll take it a little more seriously now. I'll, I'll be, yeah, so a you're, you're, you're getting colonoscopy, you're getting everything done. Oh yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, while I'm under, go ahead and do all of that. Well, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> Fuck it. Let's go. Jesus. Uh, we, we, we had a guy, uh, one of the leagues I played in, in Knoxville and he wasn't, I, he, he was, he was a hatchet man. You know, there's just no, no way around. He wasn't that good. He'd played American, you know, like he played, he played in high school some, but you know, he, he played American football and, he would, I mean, deliberately physical, let's call it. 
And he went in, uh, what the, you know, like, like in, he's, he was the kind of guy in co-ed leagues that would like dive into tackles with the women, you oh. know, it's like, God, fuck, you know, like Jim all-star. And so he goes, uh, our center forward one time was a guy named James. And he, he was actually, he was a trained dancer. He was a ER surgeon, but also a trained dancer. And so, you know, like here comes this fucker and go, I mean, no attempt to play the ball whatsoever, going in strictly to fucking cut him down because James had just, you know, diced him up over on the, over on the touchline and, um, uh, pirouettes over it. You know, like he's not there, <laughs> but if, if it was anybody else, he was, I mean, he was, he was going in to severe, you know, really try to injure him. And so I, I took note of this and, you know, just kept that there in my back pocket. We, we didn't tend to see each other on the pitch too often because he was, he was the right back for one of these clubs and I was playing, you know, center half then. And, uh, so it, it ended up being I, five, six weeks later we were playing them and it was, uh, like one of our competitive league fixtures, you know, and somebody, he got in, it was a ball over the top that he was chasing on the right wing. And I came out, you know, for, from my center hand spot and I'm tracking him, tracking him. And I get up next to him and I know, you know, that it's us refs. I mean, they're 45 yards fucking behind the play because they never <laughs> leave the circle. So I, nobody's going to see it. And I'm opposite sided from the linesman on that end. And so I went through and I won the ball with my left foot, but I tucked my right leg under, you know, and did the thing where you, you basically grabbed their ankle. And as I came through to finish the challenge, I kind of rolled up onto my knees and broke his ankle and did not feel bad about it for a single fucking second. And, and even he kind of begrudgingly, the next time we saw each other, he's like, I kind of had that one coming for a few years. <laughs> yeah. You did. <laughs> like, yeah, I do the Lord's work there. And, you know, yeah. I, I um, it, and that's what I mean. I think guys like this, especially at a young age, you, you know, most of the guys that are in this league, it's it's a high level league, which is yeah. Lewis. It's it's a pretty good soccer hotbed. And, and what's interesting is you do get this mix. And, and to join a men's league, there's no barrier for entry. They don't care how good or bad it is. You, you can run, you're on a team, someone gets you on a roster. But the, there's a there's a a natural order of things as the league matures and teams get to yep. know other and there's a there's definitely competition there's hard tackles there's shit talk all that good stuff and i think what's funny is you know there's a time and a place for that and most of the guys in this league even when we crush each other we all know we have work on monday we all know we have probably kids at home or so obligations that are yeah. the white lines it, it's it's just a ball john That's exactly <laughs> it's just my leg and so yeah um and so it would have been great if he got the ball but uh you know it's funny he uh he he apologized after the game and um it was funny because i think part of him was g'd up that he got me and um and, and the other part of him was like this is gonna be horrible for me for the rest of this fucking season because there are guys on my team who I would just classify as as goons who just yeah. go out to maim and um, you know it's funny the, one of the last articles that I wrote was about the uh, the the exit of the hard man in football and how I think the game is less because of that type of figure not because they're butchers but because like in hockey the the you got rid of the goon but now you have the rat who gets away with injuring yeah. and undercutting and chopping players and so i think in 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 competitive leagues whether it's pro or youth there's an element where if you know there's a guy like like you or or you know who is able to take that retribution and it, it could it could happen or it couldn't it kind of gives a uh, a control level to the game that these referees will never get and i think um 
you know, get again, this, this guy who did it is probably going to end up being on the receiving end of maybe not a leg breaking tackle, probably a headbutt, probably, uh, <laughs> you know, probably a thumb up the ass or something that's yeah. going to be a nut punch, something that's going to be uh, bad. I was uh, a funny story, which I'm sure you'll appreciate is I had a, had a coach who played in the old first division in England. Um, and he was talking about a, a game that had gotten out of control. It was a trial game. He was uh, a trial for, um, I think Man United, and this was like in the 80s or 70s. And he said that someone got what was called the zipper. I'm like, what's that? And he said, well, a guy was tying his boot, and uh, an older guy on the team who was sick of seeing this guy go late to tackles. And this is back when the six stud metal yeah. <laughs> you know, boots were. He's a, I, he put his uh, his boot up to the guy's collarbone and just raked it down to his belly button. And he's like, you've just been zippered. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he opened him up pretty good. And they said that was quite normal in uh, in some of these uh, you know trials or, or even you know conference leagues. And so he said, it, it's always there. It's part of the it's yeah. part of the culture. Um, again, well, I, I, I don't it's, hold it's, any it's, grudge. It's, it's just it's no. Awesome, well, but. well, that's you know this guy too. Like I said, when we finally saw each, you know, he was out had just like you had to wait to have surgery for a few <laughs> weeks and everything. And when we finally ran into each other, he was like, yeah, you know, I, I kind of, okay, I get it now. It's yeah. like, good. Yeah. You know, you've, you've been doing this to people for like the, the past five years that I've known you. So yeah. yeah, it was, it was time. It was time. I didn't even get booked either. Cause it was, that's beautiful. Uh, it was a perfect tackle. <laughs> that is I beautiful. mean, oh, it was great. It was great. So John, as I said, the yeah, author, good writer here, uh, what, what, these football times, I think a lot of people, uh, know, know the good football website there, but he also wrote, uh, it's just a ball exploring the, the complexity of a simple game, which uh, available on Amazon or wherever you get your books uh, d- done. Well, I know I, I think the last I saw was still around the five star rating. So you haven't pissed off too many people. Apparently that guy has bought plenty of copies and given you five star ratings just to, keep <laughs> <laughs> to try to offset the whore that he's brought to your life. But no, it's uh, well, I mean, we, we talked briefly, I think right before the book came out on the show last year. Uh, or it might even been two years. I can't remember now. It was sometime during COVID, so time time doesn't matter. But uh, yeah, how, how's how's uh, how's everything going with that? You know, I, I will tell people who are looking to write a book. Um, if if you are happy with getting something in writing on paper and published for the um, the eons of time, and, and that's great. Do that. I, I love that I wrote the book. Um, the, the feedback is interesting because the the sales suck. Well, I'll just admit that, but that's okay. I didn't really I didn't write this to put a Porsche in my garage. I wrote right. it because I had some stuff to say. And the people who really resonate with this book are um, guys our age who uh, had a very similar experience or upbringing in either this game or another sport or even another pursuit. I've had musicians reach out to me who thought they were going to, you know, go out West or sign a contract. And oh, they yeah. just like, now they play bars and they're yeah. like, you know, I, I finally realized that I love the music, not trying to be famous. And so, um, I had one really interesting interaction. Um, probably the most serious one where a guy who was about my age was, you know, all everything as a kid had a, a really horrific, um, college experience, gave up the game, came up, heavy boozer heavy you know into into some drugs was was basically walking off the pier literally and he actually uh someone gifted him the book and he kind of read he's like wow there are people like me out there who maybe just need to get rid of the the facade of um i needed to continue to live up to some weird expectation and just enjoy the game for what it is whether i'm a fan whether i go to the pub and watch it whether i play fifa and he reached out to me and he's like 
uh, I've read your book three times. Um, each time I read it, I, I've had to put it down because there's parts of it that are, are hard to read. And it, it's not really a dramatic book, but he said yeah. there are things that I think you speak to that people aren't speaking to. And so that was kind of a cool thing. Um, and so ultimately, the I think the the, the value of, of the book, if, if I were to speak objectively, is <laughs> there are people who um, are, are going to buy it who think it's just about how to become a better player. And really, it's not at all. It, it tells case studies about how France did this or Brazil does this or um, certain coaches have, have done certain things in, in, in great ways and great players have been, you know, manifested out of the ether. But ultimately, um, what so, there's something that keeps pulling people back to the game, whether it's as a player, coach, parent, uh, fan. And there there's a, a level of authenticity that I try to speak to about my frustrations, my trials, tribulations, my successes that um, are quite universal. I think if you look at anything on a long enough timeline, there's universal experiences. So again, musicians have said, you know, look, I thought I was going to, my band was, you know, great in Chicagoland. We went out <laughs> West, people hated us. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know I, there's a, a classic a piano player who reached out to me who thought she would actually be composing music and now she actually teaches music theory so there's like things that i think people find their groove it's just not as obvious as when they set out on that journey so um i still think it's a resounding success to actually write a book i know um, yeah Try, and, and look, it, it's look really, somebody who's a journalist and wrote for and did everything I, yes that's 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 a pursuit that uh, oh man that's a trick yeah <laughs> and, and honestly you know the thing is i i i was um I think part of the audience that I have is based in, in, in the UK. That's the majority yeah. of my readers are UK based. And so I think for them, what I've written about is their life for Americans. They discover it's like, Oh wait, other players think this way or other people think this way. I think there's a little bit of a, a learning curve there. Um, I'll be honest. I, I love the fact that people um, from obscure corners of the world pick up the book or find it, or um, I gift it and I send it out to people. And um, you know, I, I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to lose money doing that because ultimately, <laughs> it's about the work. It's not about um, you know. I'm proud of the things that I've written and researched. Uh, you know, I, I am tempted to write a another book because I'm stupid, but not about this. <laughs> um, just more about applicable things that I've learned through coaching and uh, writing, and so. I think like anything like journalism, uh, the written word, uh, being responsible with your words. Um, I think sometimes the challenge is it's a long game. It's a very long yes. and unfulfilling game. And I would say that like uh, there's, a, there's a really morbid thing that I think about, but most men won't get flowers until their funeral. It's kind of like that with your books, <laughs> right? Like, like you're not going to know the impact until long after those seeds are sown. Someone else harvests them and is reaping the fruits of that stuff, um, that harvest. I think book writing is, is very similar. And so is journalism in some degree, I think. Uh, and we've seen with, I guess, in our country with the state of sport journalism, how bad it is. And, and so how, how irresponsible and uh, science is compliant or sorry, silence is compliance, you know, kind of way. I, I never wanted to be that kind of writer. And so if, if what I write is less popular, but more impactful, fine. I'm happy yeah, to do I mean, that. That's, that's kind of how I always treated, you know, well, whatever beat I had and whatever part of the government or anything else. So, yeah, OK. I, you know, if you don't like me, I'm doing my job. <laughs> that's that's yeah. kind of how that's kind of how this stuff works out yeah no like i said well you know the, the good thing i mean you could just do a do a second edition now called like um i hung on too long and yeah. uh 
Yes. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> just add another chapter. There you there, go. There You're was back a uh, there was a funny thing I discovered. I had I don't know if you used to keep notebooks. I used to keep old notebooks. Oh, I would write God, in. I had, yeah, um, all the time. I found one called the Sunday League Diaries when I first uh, left playing college and semi-pro broad and, and, and actually playing a little bit of, uh, in the Metro league up in Chicago against some really mm-hmm. good teams like Eagles and Zrinski. Oh, yeah. And, um, and so that was like, you know, for me, kind of a competitive semi-pro level. And then I, I started playing in other leagues that were more beer league, pub league. Uh, there was a good mixture and I was very frustrated because I was probably the best player, but I was such an arrogant piece of shit about it. I was like, <laughs> no one's fit. No one cares. And, and I was learning a hard lesson because they were playing for the love of the game. I was playing for the pursuit of something else. And so I, I used to write down after each game thoughts, not in like rants, but just thoughts. And I was like, this would be a fun book because it would speak to literally every person is, you know, there's a guy who comes drunk. We actually had a homeless guy play left back for us in uh, at Forest Park here in St. Louis. It was a yeah. cold day. He had like four jackets on and he wouldn't leave the field. Um, he just like, <laughs> he was tripping. <laughs> and so we just said, uh, we will give you beer in our cooler if you just stay at left back. And yeah. and, and and the other team is a team called Kudis, which is a, they won open cups, actually. They didn't go down the left channel at all. They didn't want to know what was in this dude's pockets. Uh, <laughs> it was a league where there were no referees. Um, you kind of manage yourself and the captains reported the game card. So I have plenty of, of, of chronicles and stories like that that are not about technical development or tactics. They're just about adventures about oh, people who, who converge. I mean, and yeah, so yeah, that might so be the next game, the next the, book that I write. The Sunday league situation. Well, cause uh, you know, I played in the Mexican restaurant workers league. Down oh there yes. in And which is, I mean, it's some of the best football that you're going to play in this mm-hmm. country, but there's one, I, I think, I think that was Sunday morning that we got together for that one. Cause you know, I play like my club, we had teams in a bunch of different divisions. So like, you know, we had the competitive one that like tried to play, you know, played open cup qualifiers and stuff like that. And then co-ed and whatever else. And, um, but no, I started playing in the Mexican restaurant workers league and I got there Sunday morning. It's like 10 30, you know, cause they gotta get in there and get out so they can go fucking make lunch. I mean, yeah. it's like, and, uh, I, I was playing the last game and apparently there've been a couple situations that kicked off prior in the morning and uh apparently it was quite heated which i could tell just the second i was starting to walk up to the pitch i was like man this you know it's like the last five minutes of this game and people are just flying in the fucking tackles and it's (laughs) bad there's people yelling at each other on on the uh, you know over in the the seating area because they're all their families come so you know there's like 200 fucking people over here they're they're all drunk or hung over from the night before and um fight breaks out on the pitch course people come out and i'm standing you know i'm, I'm lacing my like taping my ankles and getting ready and fucking whatever and i started watching this one guy who just like calmly gets up out of his lawn chair and starts walking toward the parking lot um to his car about 50 50 75 yards away opens up his door bumbles around for a minute and comes back out and i was like that's a gun i'm going home <laughs> like I'm, I'm not not playing today that's yeah no <laughs> oh my gosh i was uh so here in St. Louis, there was a, a summer league I was in uh, just this last summer, and there is a, a Mexican team played a, a Cambodian team, and um, and the Cambodian team had a doubleheader, and they were actually not a bad team, but they they're very um, chippy, and they had a kit man and a, a drink man and a trainer, they're very official, yeah. Yeah. and um, they played a team full of very young. Uh, collegiate level Americans and one of the Cambodians dropped the, uh, the end bomb on a, on a player. And that player calmly walked off the field and he made a phone call (laughs) 
basically. Oh, and, and all these cars came like within 20 minutes. Mm. And his teammate heard him make that phone call and called the police and said, I'm going to stop something happening that, that can't be undone. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and yeah. so, you know, one of the things about one of the, the, the weird undercurrents of the culture is there's the game and then there's a game within the game. And, um, you know, I used to play kind of like you in the in the Mexican league, where a lot of them would play early morning games because their shift would end, yep. and then they just and and what was interesting was there's at any moment the game could be the vehicle to kick something else off, <laughs> or, oh yeah, or um you know it, something could carry over to work or from work, and I'm I wasn't working. Well, yeah, that's yeah. You, you get the guys that are like, obviously like coked up from the night before. And yes, after, yeah, and you're like, and, okay, all right, yeah, I was a good huge. one last night, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're, they're the 90 minute players or they're, they're still going box to box in 90 minutes and taking bumps after keys in the side. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's one of those things where I, I love it. Um, but I loathe it sometimes too. And I think part of what I, I've tried to capture in my own experiences, whether it's writing or just talking about it on these types of, uh, forums is, you know, I think Americans in general, uh, are missing out if they're not experiencing the game at levels outside of the the TV screen and, yeah. and trying to like, you know, there's, there's a culture here and it's, it's a unique one, but it, I think that the, the underground um, culture of our game in whatever way and whatever ethnicity it, it transpires is, is quite universal. And, and look, it's um there, there's something beautiful to it. It's gritty. It's, it's uh something that has helped me as a, as a man understand the, the, socio-ethnic politics of sports sometimes it's just like you know uh there there was once a fight with a polish team and a um a serbian team and everyone got their ass kicked but me because they knew i wasn't either polish nor serbian <laughs> I, I was spared i was like okay i was like i'm wanting to throw down and one of the guys pulled me aside and he was uh he's italian he's like no nah, that's not our fight man I'm like okay <laughs> right, you want to so, go get beer then it's exactly what we did yeah. <laughs> we walked over well, and, I mean, uh, look, John, it's, you know tuesday night fives are the same no matter where the fuck you're playing them you exactly. know it's, it's it's what it is so like, like i said john's book go, go look for it it's on amazon or wherever the hell you get books it's called it's just a ball exploring the complexity of a simple game. And of course I will put a link to it in the show notes here. John brought up, well, problems around journalism in American sport. And it's, uh, well, it's kind of come back to rear its ugly head here in U S soccer over the past, well, this week it's been, it's been rough. So we're going to grab a quick break, come back and uh, talk about uh, just uh, honestly, it's probably the worst part of the sport in this country, I think. So we're going to do that. Be right back. I know I got a bad reputation. And it isn't just talk, talk, talk If I could only give you everything You know I haven't got All right, welcome back in for part two of this uh, special episode here of the Crow Pod, talking with my good buddy John Townsend. If you're new to the show, if you're not a Rangers supporter, if you don't know me, if you don't know that I've been doing this stuff for 10 years now, uh, we, we do plenty of shows here on the Crow Pod. Wherever you're listening to this, you can go ahead and just add it via your podcast player. And uh, I said, it's, it's not, look, it's, it's called Crow Pod, the other Rangers podcast for a reason. We don't just talk about that shit. There, there's great shows with middle-aged men bitching about uh, their lives. Um, there's there's shows. Well, honestly, a, a really good one. John, I think it kind of ties into what we're doing here. It's a series that we're working on about the uh, uh, Rangers tours of uh, North America from years past. Of course, Rangers have toured the country, I think, more than any other European club. 
so there's one going back. Uh, Chicago Sparta in 1930. Of course, we played the Fall River Marksman a couple times, the original ones. Uh, and the most recent episode we did was about Portland Timbers in 1976. So wherever you're listening, if, if you're interested in that kind of stuff, U.S. soccer history, there's a lot of it in there. Go check it out. And as always, if you scroll down, there's a Buy Me a Coffee link in the show notes. If you help us out here, do the shows. We give them all away for free, but uh, it's always nice to get some help. And we, we do we give away stuff from our friends at The Famous, um, the famous Headwear all the time. You can go find them at thefamousheadwear.co.uk. John, do you want to give away a copy of the book? Uh, yeah, I would love to. Okay, fine. I will pick a, I'll pick a random member sometime this week, uh, one, one of the people who signed up, and uh, we'll get with John and make sure we send you a copy of the book. So there we go. More good stuff. This week, John, <laughs> I mean, it's something that, well, we've all been waiting for in, in U.S. soccer for, for a number of years. And, well, very specifically with this report, I guess, for the past few months, however long it's been, that Sally Yates, who was the former what, acting attorney general of the United States, or certainly deputy attorney general, uh, did about, well, the, the touchy-feely problem that a lot of... Uh, football coaches in this country have around women's soccer specifically, although it's not solely confined to women's soccer. And I, it's shocking how few people know or did know prior to this about the, well, just the visa machine that goes on for a number of these coaches who will, I mean, they can't work in the UK because people know, well, one, they're either unqualified to coach in the first place or two, they shouldn't fucking be around children. <laughs> and yet throughout all levels uh, of, of the sport over here, we get them. Of course, the, the, the one famous one here in Chicago who's mentioned extensively in the report, but I'm not going to mention his name because he's a little litigious, but who ended up marrying a girl that he coached, started coaching when she was 14 years old. If that's not grooming, I don't know what the fuck is. And it was Kevin Draper, I think, uh, from the New York Times, who wrote this extensive a great journalist, by the way. I, I I worked with him on a story back when he was at Deadspin about a lot of the, uh, the the improprieties at the University of Wisconsin Athletic Department. The guy does an awesome job, and I it's nice to see a lot of this laid bare. But of course, the problem is always what the hell does the USSF, you know, just U.S. Soccer, what, what does it actually do about it now? Yeah, it's. Um, I actually had the opportunity to, to watch Kevin interview Eric Winalda when I was uh, doing the town hall for Eric and his campaign, and it was a look. It, it was a hard hitting interview, and it was like you know Eric handled it with a lot of grace. But we don't have journalists that do that kind of stuff with our no, sport, which is no. <laughs> probably why when I look at the Yates report, and anyone who hasn't read this report, I, I invite them to do one thing: go to Sally Yates' Twitter page and just click on the link for. Um, the, the the PDF, but if you look at the table of contents, the the actual entries are that's just Paul or you know um, <laughs> the the sexualized workplace or the yeah. you know just the 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 way that they that she is and the investigative team has segmented and earmarked the things like nobody cares in quotes nobody believed those teenagers in quotes and look I read a report like this with Blackhawks not too long ago where yeah. it was is is revealing it ugly and 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 here's here's the the problem that I really have with these reports is things that are being said in and I'll say this uh the coach you mentioned in Chicagoland my sister played for him and she hasn't talked about soccer in 20 years and she pinged me yesterday she's like what the fuck like and yeah. she said a lot of stuff and I uh, I'd never even heard her say it, although I knew she knew about a lot of that stuff. And so um, 
But but the 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 thing is, people who've been saying this stuff have always been silenced or shunned or or blackballed or had their passes pulled or their access denied or, and 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 I think part of what we're seeing here is, um, in my opinion, real journalism, watchdog journalism went out, and then citizen journalism kind of play a part. And what we are seeing at, from all the, in my opinion, the complicit journalists is slacktivism. Yeah. A little statement or a, a retweet. I support women. I support, you know, <laughs> justice. And it's like, well, you, you motherfuckers were charged with covering the game at this level or, or actually getting some of the leads and following the, the, the fucking breadcrumbs to the bakery. And you yeah. didn't. And and it's like I don't blame the journalists for the actions of these coaches. That's not my my point. But when we have things like abuse was part of the culture, or um, he sold the parents, or some of these things that we all know to be facets of the American game, especially in the on the uh, uh, women's side, especially in the girls' side, but especially in the youth side, yeah. none of this is surprising to people who actually know the game. Um, the people who are shocked at this, I think they need to do a reality check. But this kind of report. Um, it should it should lead to a, a mass exodus of, of executives and coaches and owners and officials who were complicit um, or silent and compliant is my is my phrase there. Well, I, you know the, the sad part is the immediate response is well it's it's what the response has always been to this stuff because this is how they've always handled it is just circle the wagons. Now they're trying mm-hmm. to do it on a much bigger scale because you know again when it's the New York Times it's a little bit different than than some of the coaches or parents in your area getting together on a Facebook group. But, you know, I mean, like you were saying, there's a lot of us out there on Twitter. I'm not fully engaged in this stuff, but obviously I know the ones in my areas Mm -hmm. that people really shouldn't fucking be around. And I make sure that people know they shouldn't fucking be around them. But, you know, whether it's me and you or our buddy Ken, Chris, Hugh, fucking whoever, our our good buddy Allie Bain down there in the Carolinas, you know, we, we know who the fuck these people are. Everybody in the goddamn sport knows who these people are. And the fact that, you know, as you said, the selective, I, I don't, it, it, it's always the fear in this sport in this country because of how it's governed and that there's, you know, the single entity system, not, not, not just in terms of MLS, that's a wholly separate issue, but how USSF controls everything around football from a broadcasting marketing, every single standpoint that you can be blackballed from being well, any kind of journalist, having any kind of credential, any kind of coverage, having any kind of access to the sport whatsoever that, that feeds into this kind of thing. And, you know, as you said, I mean, these stories have been out there for years. People have known, journalists have known, and it took, again, Kevin Draper is fantastic at this kind of stuff. And obviously when you have, you know, the weight of the New York Times legal department behind you, it's maybe somewhat easier to come out and do it. But these are all stories that could have stood up at any level for fucking years and people didn't write them. And, and now I'll tell you one of the saddest parts that I'm seeing is uh, we a friend of the show last night, Graham reach out because you have some of these people who were complicit, not only in the cover up of this kind of shit, but actually took part in this shit. Now trying to rebrand on Twitter as some kind of fucking, mm. you know, righteous night. And uh, there's one in particular that uh, I'm sure you're fucking aware of who was more than happy, again, to run these visa farms effectively, uh, siphon money off of fucking parents, allow known, well, and in his case, maybe himself be one of the, that call them what they are, the fucking sexual predators, right? Yeah, they knew what the fuck they were doing. And that you're watching some of these guys now trying to get out 
you, you could see it over the past few months trying to get out in front of it because they knew what was coming and trying to, you know, again, like rebrand and hope nobody fucking notices. But people, we noticed. And if you don't think now, because now that the New York Times has opened the cover on this, it does make it a hell of a lot easier for any other journalist who wants a really good story in their area to come after this shit, that we're not going to reach out and find the people that will actually do the job on this that should have been done for the past 20 fucking years. Yeah. And, you know, look, it's a lot of people have been I'm, not, I'm sure you're aware of, you know, uh, Stephen Griffin's, uh, <laughs> uh, you know. Yeah, I, I may or may not have just mentioned him. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> but, you know, like one of the things is interesting. Uh, not, is not, like, not officially mentioned him. How's that? Right. Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> but but one of the things is, uh, you know, interesting about this this type of reporting and, and just there are a lot of people here who are. um trying to, to rebuild their own identity and yeah there's a lot of victim blaming um yep. a lot of well if you sell something you should have said something back then and i say well if you read the report they they did <laughs> and yes um, and i think what, what we find in in not just soccer but gymnastics and, and you know uh, hockey uh in, in all these organizations is that at some point the the sport became a medium and a haven for monsters and um you know, you tell your kids monsters aren't real and then you put them in charge of, you know, or put them under the, the, the remit of some of these coaches. And it's like, of course, this culture is not only uh, in existence, it's, it's prevalent and it's permeating society. And I think for so long, people have put um, the, these coaches and these organizations uh, in a, in a category where they're infallible and the, (laughs) all we're seeing is fallacy now. And, um, it's it's interesting to see where this goes too, because I think the the, the report is as damning as it is should lead to follow up journalism. It should lead to, to more questions and more people um, being held accountable and taken to task. Because this is not about the sport; it's about ruining lives and safety, and uh, you know the preservation of the institution of what a team should be. And 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 it's like. Um, I'm seeing these, these, these teams come out with their statements. Like we commend the courage of the individuals and we, we stand by the, the players yeah. like, but you, you didn't <laughs> um, No. Yeah. And, and, oh, and also now you're not doing anything to remove the people like, Oh, oh what y'all, you let this happen. Like what's going with Portland, you know, I mean, fuck. Oh, but Gavin won't be involved. Okay. That, that doesn't solve the fucking problem. Either. No. Like, or Merrick's you know? firing everybody but himself. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's like... Well, I, I, I think, too, you know, this is something MLS and USSF and, you know, by proxy and NWSL and whatever else have done such a good job of trying to insulate themselves, again, with the single-entity system of how uh, – I'm not just talking about MLS. That's a wholly separate issue about how the single-entity system of all of U.S. soccer works. And that will work in the way that they want to, as long as shit like this doesn't happen. And Hockey Canada is learning that the hard way right now because they've just lost their two biggest financial backers, mm-hmm. right? That's that. That's what will cause fucking heads to roll here. Is that oh, sh- you know, like think, look, Apple TV's contract. You think Apple TV wants to be affiliated with an organization that's just covered head to toe in fucking pedophiles? No, they don't. Right? You know. And they just jumped into a 10-year contract with MLS, which is jumping into a 10-year contract with U.S. soccer. I mean, that's what it is. It's all the same group. It's all the same fucking people. And if you think that, you know, the more reporting on this that you get, as you said, you know, whether it's grassroots or regionalized or or whatever, 
the more reporting on this that you get, the more pressure is going to come from those kind of companies to say, all right, look, you got to get these fuckers out of here. Like, I mean, you sat there for 20 years and you knew about this shit and you expect us to still be okay with you running this league or this part of the operation. No way and fuck. Well, you know, you know, it's really, really terrifying. And I saw this firsthand when I was, uh, you know, going and getting involved in the U.S. president campaign. Um, and I saw just what the way the Athletes Council and, and how people there uh, supposedly have so much sway and, and, and they have so much influence or they're, they're kind of bought and sold at the, the voting level. And some of the things that they, people who went through the system who probably experienced a lot of this are still protecting and advocating um, some of this abuse and yeah. not naming names, but like they had to have known. Yep. And they had to have uh, aligned with people who are, Look, any anytime a league, and I, I'm gonna bring something up. Anytime a league fires a beat reporter who's also a weatherman because he criticized the style of play for a losing record, like that's a sign that this toxicity is gonna go beyond the game. And I think, yeah. you know, what, what what I see with the the AC and the athletes council is there's a component there where they're <laughs> they're looking at this, and if it didn't affect them or they got theirs, then who, you know it can't be that bad. And, right. um, and look, it's, I, I see a lot of uh, former, you know, players or that they're in self-preservation mode anyway, post playing days, especially in this country, but the reprehensible nature of, of that council and, and some of the, the things that they have allowed to be uh, put to an election or, <laughs> or just granted authority, <laughs> you know, like, like just the fact that they promoted some X person over, you know, um, uh, another candidate or whatever like they they, right. they saw something as a council and they knew it to be wrong and egregious and yet it still um you know came to light and you know like i in my, my view of u.s soccer as a whole is i think sunlight is the best disinfectant so get it all out there because <laughs> let the vampires burn is <laughs> well well i i think you know it, it's part two because so much of u.s soccer again coming from mls because this is where the fucking money comes from you're talking about owners from the other big four sports who exist in you know these insular style markets of media that you know like i mean the nfl owns every single fucking part of its product and if it doesn't want you to know something or it doesn't care if you know you're not going to fucking know and they're not going to do anything about it look look, look at robert sarver Phoenix people knew about this kind of shit for years mm -hmm. and and it finally took you know a, a multi-part multi-year ESPN report but what it really takes is the people at the top to be able to say all right that's that's just a little bit too much you know that that's that's what it is and that's you know they, they were talking today like was it? I think it takes 75 percent of the owners in the MLS to, to force the ouster of one right um and of course we're talking about when Merritt uh, Paulson out there at, at Portland which is just a, a fucking clusterfuck but um <laughs> I, I I like to like one of the truly good organic fan bases in this club but now 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 you're seeing the part of that that can come back to bite you in the ass too you know you, you inherited this engage of a fan base supporter base supporter culture well that, now you're gonna get it you know um, right. But that takes 75 so that Don Garber can't act unilaterally, which is, you know, it's bullshit. If it came down from above, he could find 75% of the votes to do it. It's the same thing Adam Silver is, is doing with Sarver. That's what the NBA did with uh, uh, Donald Sterling before. You know, if you want mm -hmm. him gone, you'll get him gone. Right. But the, the issue, again, and what, what it's really going to come down to is when it starts hitting them in the pocketbook. And because I mean, let's be honest, that's that's 
what drives all these fucking decisions in sport like this these days. And you've got a whole class of upper middle management level style people scattered throughout the country working for, you know, in our pay to play system who've made a hell of a good living either facilitating these kind of people, um, defending these kind of people or being one of these people themselves. And they're not going to give it up easy. And the scary thing is, I don't know that we have a strong enough governing body to be able to, to, to do this. I mean, we saw it like with us gymnastics, it took the fucking FBI to cut the head off of that. Right. You know, well, you also have the NCAA and their fractions there and inappropriate yeah. behavior there. And that's a major cornerstone of American sporting culture is I don't care if my kid gets the runaround or I have to pay X number of dollars to get them part of this club. So they get a scholarship. It's like you're, you're enabling and feeding into a system that is inherently toxic, but you're also giving a platform for this type of behavior to continue to metastasize. You know, yeah. it's, a, it's a cornerstone of our culture is like, I got a college scholarship, how to get that college scholarship. It's like, you don't want to know, but now that I'm, <laughs> now that I'm there, now that I have it is and look, early this interview, we talked about my books. Like a lot of people who actually read the book or reading the book is kind of funny. It's like they're college players who have played two years and like, fuck this. I'm out. This is not what I wanted. This is not okay. Um, I'm playing hurt. I have concussions. I'm this, that. And it makes sense because the NFL will make players play with concussions as we've just seen. It does. I mean, like there's player safety is, is literally just, in my opinion, it's it's a it's a smoke show. It's, oh it's, no, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's entirely. It's not, oh, look, it's, look, look at what we're doing. Oh, isn't this great? Yeah, like, here's this statement. We, 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 well, remember, I mean, for years in in, in that valley, but, oh, we've got padded chin straps. It's like, how does that stop my brain from slamming against the side of my skull? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so, like you know, you you have these these mechanisms in play where you have whether it's the academy system or whatever they call it now. You've got you know. Um, uh, labeling of leagues, and then you have the the NCAA, the funnel that that that, especially for the women, that that serves, um, you know, and that's why I, I contend that the the whole system, it, the, the 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 heads of the Hydra are so many, and it's uh, you know, U.S. soccer is is, is but one, um, you know, some MLS, and then there's NCAA, and then there's the uh, the USU soccer and, and all these things that just seem to have this element represented within their culture, within their organization on various levels. And, um, you know, again, sunlight's the best disinfected, but the more people are looking into this, it's like the more that you're learning, the more you realize <laughs> you probably knew it all along. Now it's just out in the open. Um, but it's, uh, you know, we still have yeah. anonymous groups coming forward. And of course there's, there's also an element of coaches who are like, well, let's hear both sides. Like what? What? <laughs> no, like, did you we, don't, we don't need to hear from the pedophiles actually yeah. in this case. Yeah, did you I'm just sorry. incriminate yourself? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, look folks, uh, uh, Scottish football fans know very well. If you got somebody coming out in defense of a pedophile, you should probably start checking their hard drive too. <laughs> you know, I, there, there's a very short line. The, the Venn diagram of, People who defend pedophiles and pedophiles, mostly a circle, usually. <laughs> or it's, oh, it's this group, also this group, but in red. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, man. All right. We got just a few minutes left here. I, I wanted to talk some men's national team, but fuck it. We'll, 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 I mean, you're not doing anything anyway because your leg's broken. So That's right. We'll, we'll, we'll get you back on in the buildup to the World Cup and actually try to explain to people why, uh, well, you won't have to worry about the U.S. team after two group stage <laughs> games, probably. So, um, 
Uh, we, we, we got a couple questions here. Chris wants to know, how important do you feel online gaming cultures, gambling? Uh, please uh, stop calling. Or, no, no, he's talking about actual gaming. Oh, that's nice. I thought he was talking about gambling. Although gambling is what drives everything in American sports. Uh, how, how important do you feel online gaming culture streamers and the obsession with FIFA has been in making the game so popular with young Americans? And do you think, given that Fiorentino Perez is uh, correct, that, that this demographic will dictate the direction of football going forward? Uh, I think that online gaming uh, has served a pretty big per- purpose uh, and function with, with getting the sport more popularized. I know a lot of people who didn't like soccer growing up and play FIFA with their kids love yep. it now. Um, they they yep. learn about teams and <laughs> leagues. They learn about players. Um, yeah. uh, so and, and I guess the, as the game got more involved in more career mode and more uh, integrating some fantasy elements and, you know, simulation and all the other things that, that could tell more than just 90 minutes. I think that's a good thing. I, I think FIFA is actually ending at this, at the end of this year. I think it's the last FIFA is 23, but um, I think it's here to stay. Uh, I remember growing up with pro evolution, soccer, FIFA, you know, some of the pro evos. Yes. Um, like, yeah. like if you had the friend with pro evo, that was a yep. fucking, that's yeah, it was purist. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and so I think um, it's pivotal in terms of, of, of the younger fan base uh, and generation, um, whether it's ever going to, uh, replace or influence the way um, non-gamers have have been able to do so. I don't know, um, but I think yeah. that it's it's going to be a cornerstone of the of the future of the game. Um, I think that there's so many inputs from that e gaming universe that uh, speak and are applicable to kids these days. That um, I, I embrace some of that. You know, I think I think ultimately uh, it, there there's there's probably a, a good element to it. Um, so I, I think it's here to stay, and I think it's going to be quite quite uh, transformative in the future to see where that level of uh, exposure takes tomorrow's fan. Yeah, well, I think you know, just just a kind of well, you, you can tell you can tell I live in Illinois because when I see the word gaming, I immediately think gambling because that's how we sell it <laughs> off track betting. But yeah, but um, no, well, I, I think that too, you know, because obviously sports betting, legalized sports betting, is much more prevalent. Uh, throughout the throughout the country now, and and obviously there's a lot of different ways to bet on football, you know, mm-hmm. and th- that will always get people involved. I mean, look, how many people don't give one flying fuck about NCAA basketball? But the second March first comes around, there, you know, it's time. Let's go. Like that's so uh, that that will also help drive, uh, and that of course will steer more. Obviously, the older culture who maybe maybe they weren't ever exposed to FIFA or you know played Football Manager all the goddamn time mm-hmm. like we did. But that, look, hey, if I can gamble on it and it's on on a Saturday morning with no other sports around yet, all right, this sounds good. Yep. <laughs> let's let's do it. Uh, James, James Black here wants to know, hey, guys, this is the difference. Well, I said there's a different ways of looking at single entity. The way we're going to be talking about here is the fact that MLS, like all of our sports leagues, is is a, well, just one structure that runs everything. In fact, we, we did a Crowpot Explains America episode recently about franchises moving all the time. And the reason that happens is, just, you know, the, the sports leagues are monopolies. That's basically how they run. But uh, James said, uh, regardless of your thoughts on single entity and MLS structure, how important is having clubs survive across several generations for growing the game? Oh, I, I'm hesitant to call them clubs, but yeah, um, I think there, I know. There's so few examples. I mean, I was trying to like Sparta. Sparta is still in Chicago. You know, yeah. they've been there for years. But so many of them. I mean, it's like that, like Bavarians up in uh, Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Where, where they're almost like extensions of a local social club 
that just happens to also pay for some people to go out and play sports. Yeah. Know? So I think like, like here, here you have bocce ball courts instead of fucking, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, uh, um, football sides, but it's, it's kind of the same concept with those. So it's funny. I was talking to a friend from who lives in Rio and he said, you know, uh, you know, Fluminense has a basketball team, a gymnastics team, you know, a, a track. It's like it, they're sporting clubs that we just know about the football. You know, I think having clubs survive, that's interesting way he, he phrased that, but I, Obviously, longevity and having institutions of sport uh, within communities, uh, it's important. Again, franchises, ask any Houston or San Jose fan or, you know. Um, Miami. Miami, uh, Tampa Bay. Tampa. Um, <laughs> you know, ask these fans, you know, what they what they truly think of, of their sport being, you know, um, or their, their team being relocated or, yeah. or hijacked, rebranded. Look, I think that... Um, I'm never going to fault a, a franchise or an institution for existing and being important to the people of the community. I always caution people in American sports, especially with soccer, you know, that could be gone in a, a number of years and it could be a decision that has nothing to do with your community. Um, it could yeah. be something that is just a, a, a column on an Excel sheet. Um, and the, the, the model we have now, um, if it's not working, they'll rebrand it to something else. I mean, I remember MLS being strictly very Americanized names. Now it's all you know, SKC or Sporting This or FC That or Real Salt Lake. The King of Spain is very involved with. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Right. And, and so I love when you know MLS fans <laughs> would call me a Euro. So I'm like, have you looked at your team name? Have you looked at the league? What it did? Yeah. It, you know, and so look, it's. um. It's important to have these things go multi-generational. However, um, I think that the, the more you, you hang around the American soccer scene, the more you realize that what you're seeing is a production um, and, and it should be treated merely as that, as a movie set that could be torn down or relocated somewhere else. Um, now, Portland is in, in Seattle. Those are uh, interesting, you know cases where they mm-hmm. you know white caps that these are things uh even the earthquakes now but they were again the example i use they they did exist they didn't now they do um yeah. Yeah. i i just i don't know that uh me being a, a first generation chicago fire fan you know like i don't think kids today care about the fact that the chicago fire still play in chicago i don't think that they no. care about that franchise um me as someone who used to go to every game as you know I don't care about that. So it did. Well, I, well, generations. I, 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 we, we even talked about that, you know, like they're an example, even with it. Look, it, not, not every club that moves is, is the fucking, you know, the, the, the Brooklyn Dodgers, you know? Right. But the fire had moved four times. <laughs> and, exactly. But, and that is still debilitating to your ability to grow and maintain a healthy support of it. Like I don't, I, I kind of gave a fuck when I was a kid, you know, a little bit, but I, I really, you know, I don't now. I mean, you, you know, I'd right. trust me. Exactly. I'd much rather go down the street here to watch my Rockford FC. Me and Hugh went up to see Forward Madison. You know, much more accessible, much, much. I mean, for me, just a, a much more enjoyable product that people yeah. actually give a shit about. Whereas, I mean, the fire don't look. They left Bridgeview upside down, nearly bankrupt on the ground, mm-hmm. the, so they could go back to playing Soldier Field. And now that Soldier Field is so fucked up because it has the worst pitch in all <laughs> of American sports, they're right back in Bridgeview again, tanking that community. That, that you know, just taking advantage of it. That's not how you, you don't build relationships doing that kind of shit. And that's no. I mean, look the, the 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 thing that we spent the bulk of this part of the episode talking about in terms of um, well. 
the failures of U.S. soccer. I mean, they're all symptomatic of of an issue. Well, just that again. I mean, these are primarily owners in the other sports leagues that view this as just another revenue mechanism. It's, it has nothing to do with building history. So yeah, I mean, the Jesus point, I think it's great. You know, you're down there in St. Louis now, great historic soccer culture, something I've talked about on episodes, you know, with the history episodes that we do. Um, again, Bavarians won the, the the amateur cup this year. Fucking awesome. You know, uh, you do have clubs like that in some cities, but by and large, nah, I mean, it doesn't, I, 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 all you gotta do is look at television ratings, right? Exactly. I mean, like who, a uh, 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 fucking Spurs playing leads at seven 30, on a Saturday morning on USA Network, which not everybody has, will outdraw an MLS match at four o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday. You know, yep. it usually usually two or three to one, right? Because there's something to these clubs. You know, obviously with me growing up with it, Rangers are part of my family, but um, it's something you can grow up and actually hold on to. Whereas, as you said there with MLS, look, it might be out with your control. It might be out with the control of your city. I mean, fuck, look, look at what MLS was trying to do encroaching in the USL and fucking over Orange City or uh, Orange County. Oh my gosh, yeah. You know, try, trying to put a team out of business. They were trying to put an organically grown football club out of business, actively doing it in the courts via city council. Via, I mean, uh, let's call it what it is. I mean, they were bribing politicians. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. just, you know, call it what it is. Thankfully, they lost this time, but that, that, that doesn't mean they will next time. Right. And that doesn't mean they haven't in God knows how many other cities. You, you know, I mean, I, I, I knew a lot of the guys in the Nashville club when it was, you know, the older Nashville club. And I, I know people in the community think it's great and whatever, but the second you move to MLS, it's so hard. You know, you brought up Portland, Seattle, Vancouver. We've done a really good job trying to hold on to part of their identity, but it's so hard to maintain that once you make that jump, put your soul for sale. I mean, your soul is for sale. And I mean, I I look, I have a lot of respect for people who are, are, are diehard fans of these franchises, but, you know, in St. Louis here, they had a USL team that was well-supported, easily affordable. Um, it was a, a great extension of the academy that I, you know, I, I coached in. And, you know, I, a lot of players that I've coached have come through there. Um, and, but they they at one point said, hey, we'll have the USL team and MLS. And then, nope, USL teams killed. Uh, that was covered in The Athletic a couple years yep. ago. Yep. inexplicably people are pissed but now most of those fans are like well we love mls now because that's all we got it's like that's what they want you to do is monopolize your market yep. uh, you know make make your city bid against you know certain infrastructure bills that probably need to go toward rebuilding bridges and getting housing projects you know cleaned up and nah, but they want you that. to have the no, stadium it's like stadium. exactly <laughs> exactly and you know st louis is notorious for teams leaving the fucking yeah. football teams left twice. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, it's a it's a baseball town, and you know they call themselves a hockey town. It's like it's not really, but it's like it yeah. it, it it's it's going to be interesting to see what the look. I'm not going to say that I um, I think soccer is a bad thing. I just I, I would not be surprised if people in three years if this if this franchise isn't doing well and and good players still go to the coast. Um, how's that work? You mean players yeah. that want to come to St. Louis? Or I, I like Galaxy. Huh? How about that? Yeah. It's so weird. Um, so yeah, I would not be surprised if it follows the same, follows a similar model to what other uh, flyover state franchises have had to deal with and, 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 and contend with. And, um, you know, it's buyer beware. And 
Yeah. You know, when they when they were canvassing for season tickets, just go ahead and skip me. Um, I'm sure my, my, my company will give me tickets that I'll have to attend and you know, I'll go there for the free beer and um, you know, I'll take my kids and they're too young to get any of this, but that's fine. You know, yep. it's uh, it is what it is and that's what I'll use it for and there's nothing wrong with that either. I think uh, no. you know, people are um, I think people are always gonna gravitate to what, what is local, but uh, you know, it, I always am, am critical and I'll remain critical. And, and, uh, and I think that's healthy because my, my critiques have usually um, been lodged in a fair degree of truth. So, <laughs> well, like I said, John, of course, the author, look for his book. It's just a ball exploring the complexity of a simple game. I will pick out a winner from someone in our, our Crowpod universe here and uh, get your address and everything over to, over to John. You can find them on Twitter. It's John underscore Townsend 3, but I will make sure I put that in the show notes too because there's a lot of different ways to spell your name, buddy. <laughs> 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 but, no, John, thank you. Like I said, hope, hopefully, you know, near the World Cup. We'll get back on. We'll actually talk about, well, the football for a little bit. You know, it would be nice to do. Awesome. I look forward to it. Excellent. All right, John, thank you very much. And, yeah, that's uh, more Crow Pod. Well, fuck. I mean, if, if you're listening to the shows in order today, this is the second one I've done, and I've still got one more to go. So uh, thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. See ya. Some people call me the space cowboy. Yeah. Well, you can't be fucking serious at all.